It's Wednesday, March 4th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. The 2020 presidential race is changing by the hour. We'll tell you how the field is looking the morning, er, evening, after Super Tuesday. Then, when it comes to coronavirus, there's another term medical officials are throwing around, infodemic. So if you think you're hearing a lot of stuff about COVID-19 that doesn't seem right, you're not alone. And finally, how women's history might be getting a ticket to the Smithsonian Club. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by New Aller Life. More life, less blah. In politics, one day you're in and the next day you're out. And today, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is out. He announced this morning that he was dropping out of the Democratic race for president and endorsing former VP Joe Biden. It was a big shift from just last night when Bloomberg bragged about how far he'd come. We have done something no one else thought was possible. In just three months, we've gone from 1% of the polls to being a contender for the Democratic nomination for president. So what happened? Bloomberg was the last person to join the race, right before Thanksgiving. He wasn't even on the ballot in the first four states of the primary process. He was holding out for Super Tuesday. That was the big event yesterday, when 14 states and a U.S. territory cast their ballots. Bloomberg put all of his chips on the table, literally. In the three short months he was running for president, the multi-billionaire spent over $500 million of his own money in those states. And all he got was a win in the U.S. territory of American Samoa. Ouch. So it turns out money can't buy you love or elections. Good to know. But heads up, this might not be the last you hear of Mike Bloomberg, because Bloomberg hired over 2,400 people. He guaranteed their jobs through the election and paid them really well with a lot of perks. That's not a normal thing for campaigns. And he was willing to spend, quote, whatever it takes on his campaign. Since Forbes says he's worth nearly $60 billion, that whatever could be a lot. And that's important because before he dropped out, Bloomberg said he would use those resources to get President Trump out of office by electing the eventual Democratic nominee, even if he couldn't be the nominee. Who that candidate will be, though, is still TBD. In the meantime, the big winner of Super Tuesday ended up being Biden. So far, he's won 10 of the 14 states all over the country, from the Northeast to the Deep South to the Midwest. It's a good night! It's a good night. And it seems to be getting even better. But Biden didn't spend nearly as much money as Bloomberg on Super Tuesday. So he had a few people to thank for his big win. First, the voters of South Carolina for giving him the win and the momentum leading into Super Tuesday. Second, the blitz of endorsements he got leading up to yesterday, including from his former rivals, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke. And third, maybe President Obama? Remember, Obama hasn't endorsed anyone, but apparently he called Biden to congratulate his former VP on winning South Carolina. And there have been reports that Obama also spoke to Buttigieg over the weekend. Obama reportedly didn't ask Buttigieg to endorse Biden, but he did apparently encourage Buttigieg to use his newfound influence in the campaign. Regardless, Buttigieg didn't wait long to endorse Biden. So the consolidation of the moderate side of the party seems to be working, but the progressive side seems to be more divided. 
Until last night, Senator Bernie Sanders was seen as the formidable frontrunner of the Democratic Party. But he only won four states last night, including his home state. And, at least according to the AP, the big catch of the night, California. And when we began this race for the presidency, everybody said it couldn't be done. Sanders isn't far from Biden's delegate count. But one important thing to look out for is who's been voting for them. Sanders tends to do better with young voters, but Biden has done better with African-American voters. Those are two key voting demographics. Meanwhile, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren had a rough Super Tuesday. She came in third place in her home state and didn't do any better in any of the other states. And while some people are expecting her to drop out of the race any minute now, she has said that she's in this for the long haul. That's because even though she didn't win any states last night, Warren still picked up some delegates. And she thinks that if no candidate gets a majority of the delegates in time for the convention, she might be able to rally enough support to win the nomination. But today, there are reports that she's rethinking that strategy. So after an exciting night last night, this race might only just be getting started. For more on the candidates and big issues at play this year, head on over to theskim.com election. Here come the allergy blahs, that dreary feeling you still get even once your allergy meds have relieved your symptoms. Enter Allerlife, a line of supplements that can help. Take Allerlife as part of your daily routine. Allerlife does not treat allergy symptoms such as runny nose, itchy eyes, or watery eyes. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got an infodemic on our hands. That's a word being used to describe the overload of information and misinformation out there about coronavirus. And today, global health officials held two big online workshops with journalists to try and stop misinformation from spreading. Here's what it looks like right now. If you search for coronavirus info on Twitter and Facebook, you might be overwhelmed. You might even see your relatives sharing conspiracy theories or rants by people who claim to be doctors without sharing any details. Sketchy. A recent State Department report counted more than 2 million tweets spreading conspiracy theories about coronavirus over a three-week period starting in late January. And that was before the disease caused by coronavirus, COVID-19, went totally global. Social media networks are starting to fight back. Yesterday, Facebook announced it's letting the World Health Organization post as many free ads as it needs to help spread accurate info. Facebook also said it started linking people to the WHO, or local health resources, whenever they search for coronavirus on Facebook. Another place where this infodemic is playing out is on sites like Amazon. Lately, Amazon's been dealing with people dramatically raising prices on things like face masks and hand sanitizer. But it's also dealing with not-so-legit products promising to treat or cure COVID-19, even though no such treatments exist. This is actually a huge problem. Last week, Amazon said it had banned at least a million products from the website for promoting fake health claims. But when you're up against numbers like that, preventing everyone from getting sick from this infodemic won't be easy. Bigger picture, health officials want the media and the public to keep a few things in mind when it comes to battling the coronavirus infodemic. First, they warn against just dismissing people who believe misinformation. 
Simply telling someone you're wrong usually isn't the best way to change minds, which is pretty much social skills 101. Instead, try acknowledging their concerns and then point them toward vetted public health info like from the CDC. We've left a link in our show notes to some of that info. And second, they suggest being sensitive in the way we talk about the outbreak in general. Instead of talking about the number of new cases or infections, they suggest using phrases like people treated for COVID-19. It's more human since if you got sick, you'd probably want to be referred to as a person and not just as a case. And finally, health officials want people to use the scientific name for the disease, COVID-19. Laura No Fontaine of the International Federation of the Red Cross says using COVID-19 is more than scientifically accurate. It doesn't carry the stigma of phrases like the Wuhan coronavirus or Chinese coronavirus, which are fueling suspicion of people from China or even anyone who looks Asian. It's a new disease and there are many, many unknowns. And it's really easy to blame our fears and associate our fears of the unknown on other people, others that are outside of our communities. And while it's understandable um, that there's confusion and anxiety and fear about COVID-19, these are fueling really harmful um, stereotypes. Again, we've left a link to the latest vetted scientific info on COVID-19 in our show notes. It's Women's History Month. But what if there was a place where you could learn about women's history whenever you want? This is a five-minute vote. In case you missed it, last month, the House of Representatives passed a bill to create, as part of the Smithsonian, a National Women's History Museum. It's something advocates have spent decades fighting for. The pushback has largely come from political conservatives, who say a museum like this would favor left-wing feminists. There was also pushback from within the Smithsonian itself. A few years ago, the head of the museum said there was enough room for women in the museums that already exist. But for years, Congressman Carolyn Maloney, a House Democrat from New York, has been saying, nope, we need our own thing. And here's why. Little girls should be just as inspired as little boys when they come to their capital. We're also doing this so that our daughters and our sons and our children have the chance to learn the story, the full story, of how this amazing country came to be. And I hope that every young man and young girl who visits Washington are inspired by the Mm -hmm. stories, not only of men, but also that are women. Now that this bill has finally passed the House with bipartisan support, Maloney calls it an important first step towards including women in how we talk about American history. According to her legislation, history textbooks only talk about women's contributions 10% of the time. So this museum is one way of saying women have been here 100% of the time. As for this museum becoming a reality, the Senate still has to pass its own version of Maloney's bill, which reportedly also has bipartisan support. But one thing to note, even if the president signs this into law, no one is laying down any bricks just yet. It took over a decade for the African-American History Museum to go from bill to reality. Why did it take so long? There's about a quarter of a billion dollars to raise, a board to appoint, and a controversy over where to build it. So getting this Women's History Museum bill through Congress is one thing. Getting it built is another. Before we go today, we've got a pro tip for how to work the room. Lydia Finette is the lead charity auctioneer of Christie's Auction House. 
Lydia definitely knows how to command a room. It's kind of her whole job. But when Lydia first started out in her career, she didn't know anybody in the art world. Over time, though, she built her confidence and her network, and eventually conducted over 1,500 auctions. On this week's episode of our other podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, Lydia gave some advice on how to network, even when you're starting from scratch. I would say that the most important thing you want to do when you're networking is distinguish yourself from other people immediately. So what makes you unique? Because you can Google anybody sitting across the table from you. The easiest way to sell is to sell yourself. Because when you're talking about yourself in a way that feels authentic, it doesn't feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's difficult for an extrovert or an introvert. You know, nobody likes for somebody to shut them down. But at the same time, you will never get anything unless you put yourself out there. That episode of Skim from the Couch is available now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's all for Skim This. We launched this show a year ago today, so thank you so much for subscribing. And if you want to give us a present, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to add the Skim to your morning routine, sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.